worst nightmare is back. And the New England Patriots will be the first dynasty of the 21st century. Pass is intercepted at the goal line. Unreal. What is going on, everybody? It is Justin. Um, so tonight we have a very special episode. Uh, we have Bob Sosi from 98.5, and uh, you've, I'm sure you've heard him on the radio and on the calls and on NFL Films and all that good stuff. Bob, thank you uh, a, a ton for coming on the show. Justin, thank you for having me. This is great. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I just got a few questions for you. Um, nothing really too uh, you know, in-depth, just kind of a, a get-to-know-you kind of thing. Um, all right, awesome. So I do want to know what the atmosphere was like uh, in Atlanta last weekend. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was certainly a lot different than the other Super Bowls that I've had a chance to experience. In that, number one, everything in Atlanta was close, and since the Patriots were headquartered downtown, they were a lot closer to the activities of the official bad experience at the Centennial Olympic Park, the Media Center, at the World Congress Center in Atlanta. They're right next to one another. They also happen to be adjacent to the State Farm Arena where the opening night was with the two teams and the uh, press conferences, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> the show that was yeah, aired exactly, on the NFL yeah. Network, you know what I mean. Uh, and, and, the same, and, and, the, and the stadium was right there as well. So everything was really in a uh, very close walking distance from where the team stayed and, and from where our hotel was, we were part of the team's uh, peripheral party, which meant that we didn't stay at the same hotel as the team, but nearby. And, uh, you know, it was great in that you could walk from point A to point B, which is really un- uncommon. It seemed like when we were in Houston, for example, a couple of years ago, or even out in Arizona for Super Bowl Forty Nine, we were always in a car driving to and from the next destination, the next press conference or whatever. And last year in Minneapolis, it was so frigid outside that you really couldn't participate in the fan experience in downtown Minneapolis. And then the two teams were kind of uh, off on their own at uh, the Mall of American Bloomington with all the media. And it felt like you were trapped in there. If you've ever seen the Tom Hanks movie Terminal, yes, uh, where he's stuck in, yeah, that's that's how it was last year. That, that, please don't, don't listen to true what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going off. Uh, as somebody's complaining about a Super Bowl experience, it was so much better. And, and then beyond that, and the, the demo logistics, there were a ton of patrons that. And that was really cool. That was certainly out of the ordinary, in my experience, just because in 49, it was predominantly a Seattle crowd. I'd say the Falcons matchup in Super Bowl 51, there were probably more Patriot fans there, but it was, it was fairly even. Uh, yeah. There wasn't a huge discrepancy. And, and, and last year, certainly, uh, there were a lot more Eagles fans in Minneapolis than there were Patriot fans. Mm-hmm. This year, though, it was incredible, the number of Patriot fans on hand. Yeah, I was I was seeing a lot on Twitter, people saying that like it was like, you know, 15 to 1 ratio, 15 Pats fans for every one Rams fan kind of thing. Yeah, it kind of came to a running joke, honestly. And, you know, by the end of the week, it was a matter of, okay, let's try to count any Rams jerseys or Rams hats or T-shirts we can see, and, you know, last couple of days of the week, there were a few more, but not many, and uh, it was interesting, too, when we flew out on Monday, the Patriots team went out off on the charter, and then again, a lot of the support staff, marketing people, ticket office, uh, personnel, uh, trainers, video guys, the radio crew, we flew out in a separate plane that was chartered by the Patriots, and 
And in between, the Rams' traveling party flew out, and, and it was Gene and their family, and then all their staff. And you know, whereas it took a couple of huge Patriot planes uh, to transport everybody back to New England, and it was it was one flight it seemed for L.A. And that was kind of a metaphor for the whole week in terms of the fan representation. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I like when there's obviously a that home game kind of feel for the Super Bowl makes. I'm sure the team you know appreciates that as well. Yeah, and it had an impact too. I think you'll recall there were a couple of times, certainly where Jared Goff, like he was he was rattling the team for, for much of the game, and they yeah. did a great job of getting pressure on him and confusing. But there were definitely some times, I think especially in the third quarter after the game tied up at three all, where the crowd really became a factor in the game. And there's no doubt in my mind that you know the Patriots are able to feed off of that energy. Absolutely. Um, all right, so I'll get to my next question. Um, what's your favorite memory of like calling uh, Patriots games so far? Oh gosh, there's so many. Somebody asked me that Sunday. I was with a party from '98 the Sports. Mm-hmm. We were doing a Q and A with some students up at Franklin Pierce in New Hampshire. Somebody asked me, what was your most memorable experience? I'm going to say this only because it's the most recent. I would say the last couple of weeks of this season, the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. When you talk about having fans on your side, there's also something cool about going on the road and winning a game of real significance. And in this case, a game to get to the Super Bowl in a hostile environment. And Arrowhead Stadium is as good as it gets in terms of the crowd noise and, you know, the fact that there aren't many tickets other than Chiefs tickets. Usually with the Patriots, you see you know, a fair number of fans uh, in, in, in road stadiums. Not in this case. I think Pittsburgh and, and Kansas City are the two places consistently where when the Patriots are there, uh, just about everybody else hates them. Uh, and, uh, you know, you go to Miami, you go to you know, some of the West Coast cities, you go to other places around the league. And that's not a, not, not, a, not as much the case because you'll see a lot of Patriots fans there. They somehow get their hands on tickets and turn out in great numbers. But at Arrowhead, you know, the circumstances, being the number two seed, going up against them as the favorite. And I think you saw that reflected by the players and their joy in how excited Tom Brady was, genuinely so, as soon as that game ended and what it felt like. And it was really kind of a similar experience broadcasting for Zoe, myself, and the rest of our crew. And just being on the road and, and you, know, you get a vibe at a press box where you get a sense that you know, all the local media, they're convinced that you know, they're going to be covering a Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. And even the national media, you know, a lot of them are ready for a change. It's mm-hmm. not to say hate Patriots so much, but if they want to see somebody else, they, they love Mahomes and expect to see somebody else. And then to, to fall that game away and fall that was really a, a, a great experience. And I even said this on the way back. You know, there is something about going on the road, especially for the Patriots, because as you know, they had lost in the last three road conference championship games and a lot of people around here. Uh, you know, with, with, with some reason, you had wondered, at least in sports talk circles, you know, could they go out on the road and, and, and win a game uh, with those kind of implications that they did. And, and then obviously the Super Bowl winning late, although it wasn't the most exciting offensive game, it was still nonetheless a game that had late drama and beyond that had a chance to ride in the parade. This was my you know, third Super Bowl call of a victory for the past and third Super Bowl parade uh, for me and uh, for this particular one I got a chance to take both of my kids seven and eight but that was really cool yeah, you guys are definitely spoiled with the parade so far. I mean, I only <laughs> took amazing. over a few years ago, and I mean, you've you know, you've you've had a dynasty basically. You know, 
happened the entire time you've been here. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd also be lying to you if I didn't say that my heart stopped about four times during that Chiefs game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so did mine. Uh, you know, it's funny, too, because as well as the Patriots were playing defensively, there was still that sense that that interception on the goal line could come back and haunt them. Mm-hmm. And obviously the way the second half started, and as quickly as Kansas City can score, and then when the Chiefs went ahead, you know, and the ball went off Brock's hand, and, and for that split second, appeared to be an interception for Kansas City. But I think all of our hearts stopped. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I'll get to my next question. So I actually had Zoe on the show before... Uh, before the season started, so I want to ask, what is it like working with him? Because he was—he was definitely a fun guy to interview. I say this to everybody who asks that, and everybody asks—it's exactly as you would imagine it would be. And he's always the same guy, with few exceptions. Off the air, as he's on the air, and you got a chance to talk to him for the podcast, and I'm sure that was exactly what it's like when I when I go into the booth, and we're either on the air or off the air. It's a lot of fun, he's got tremendous passion and energy. Uh, he's hilarious. He's a guy that's uh, certainly, I think, a, a much better analyst than he's often given credit for. I think because of the emotional reaction to the show Tony's to the court. And, you know, those signature moments that have been associated with uh, America's Worst Nightmare <laughs> and, and all of that. Yeah. But, you know, he analyzes, you know, he analyzes the game exceptionally well. For example... So much of what Tony Romo gets credit for, anticipating plays and try to give the, the listener and the viewer an idea of where the ball is going to go next. Joe's been doing that from day one with me for six years. He's had that ability like a quarterback should to read the defense, know what the offensive formation is, and you know, project or at least anticipate who's likely to be Brady's target, and so I've kind of grown accustomed to that, and he really does a great job of breaking down the game, and at the same time bringing the, the passion of a Patriot fan and a longtime Patriot player to the broadcast, and, and then there's the sense of humor and uh, just all the energy. I know he's made a huge difference for me. My first game with the zone was in the preseason in 2013. And as you can imagine, I was really nervous following Gil Santos. Exactly. Try, you know, try, try to at least you know, prove to people, and nobody in Boston, basically, nobody in New England knew who I was, that, that you know, I, I belonged in that booth, and we were about, uh, you know, 30 seconds from going on the air, and what we call the commercial billboard was playing where the, the studio announcer is telling you who's sponsoring the broadcast, and you hear a few highlights here and there, and then, you know, he says, let's go to the stadium. Here's the voice of the Patriot, Bob Sosi and Scott Zolak, and about the time, uh, we were supposed to take over just before that reporting of the announcer sent it to us. So it turned to me and said, hey, Bob, don't F this up. <laughs> and you know, I just broke out in a laugh, and, and it really relaxed me and made me feel like, you know what, I belong here. He's gonna, he's welcoming me in. and it, You know, we've been busting each other's shops ever since, uh, and, and, and it's a blast. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I only talked to Zoe that one time, but, I mean, it was, you know, it was a, about a 15-minute interview, and the entire time, you know, he was – he seemed passionate and happy to talk about, you know, the Patriots and stuff like that, which is it makes it a lot easier to talk to somebody when they're as passionate as you are. Because actually, my dad is a co-host on the show, and he was actually the 2000 fan of the year. So, football in my household's a, a pretty, uh, pretty important thing. Yeah, you know what, Justin? That's the thing about Zoe too, and I really appreciate this. 
he, he appreciates where he is and, and how popular he's become. And he appreciates the fan. And he appreciates the people that have been with the, with the pack through thick and thin. You know, we always joke about how spoiled we are. And, you know, that we do that also understanding that a lot of people who follow this team certainly for a lot longer than I've been around it also understand what it was like at Old Foxborough Stadium yep. when games were blocked out and the teams were terrible. Yep. And he was a part of some of those teams. So he, he understands that. And I think especially with the longtime fans, you know, recognizes that, you know, they truly are the fans who, who uh, you know, are fair weather, are bandwagon fans. They've, they've lived through some tough times with their team. And, uh, you know, the, the success of the Patriots in a lot of ways is attributed to those people. There's no doubt in my mind about that. We're very, very lucky. But I think we also understand that, you know, we, as the broadcasters for the team, have a pretty... Uh, I don't, to, I don't I think either one of us takes ourselves too seriously, uh, but we also understand you kind of have a serious responsibility in that to, to represent not only the Patriots, but people that, that listen to the games and invest so much of themselves in the team. It's our responsibility to, to kind of live up to the standards that, that are expected of the Patriots and, and, and the Patriots fans. Yeah, I mean, my my dad always likes to joke that uh, he remembers going to games at the old Sullivan Stadium, and he would he he likes to put it as going to a stadium with seven thousand of my closest friends because, like, you know, it's back then it was seven. Now it's like you can you can barely get into Gillette Stadium. It's you know it's it's an absolute madhouse now. It is, and. It's a tough ticket, and it's an expensive ticket. That, and, that is too. You know, that's the other part of it, too. It, it, uh, you know, it's quite expensive, too. Not just to get to the stadium and to afford to sit there or to stand there, but the time you spend in traffic on Route 1, that's not lost on us. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go into the stadium in our case at 9 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning before 1 o'clock starts. There are already a lot of people who are beating you there and have already had their grills running and, uh, you know, they're all set up for a tailgate. And, you know, I, that's not lost on either one of us. I know it's certainly not lost on me. And it's one of the things I love about, you know, the job that I do. It, it's walking through that stadium parking lot and seeing those people and, and knowing how much the team and the success of the team means to them. And, uh, you know, I have uh, some relatives who've been probably doing it as long as your dad and we're there among the 7,000 of his closest friends. And, uh, you know, Every time I see them pregame, uh, we, 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 we talk about uh, what it was like in the old stage. It never fails because they always remind me, you know, how, how good we have it now. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, all right, so I'm going to get to my next one. Um, I asked Zoe the same thing, not necessarily in the in the same way that that uh, kind of you did, but um, what did like essentially taking over for Gil mean to you? Because I mean, like Gil is and will forever be. Uh, you know, the voice of the New England Patriots, not to take anything away from you because I think you're doing an incredible job at the position. But growing up, I remember listening to Gil doing the pregame and stuff like that. And that was, you know, that was my guy essentially growing up. But I just sure. want to know what taking over for him kind of meant to you. I mean, Gil is the voice of the Patriots and always will be. And, you know, I, I, I've thought that from day one. And, you know, my first week on the job basically in training camp, in July of 2013, he was inducted in the team's Hall of Fame. And he's not in there as a broad, as, as part of the broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. He's in there as, as 
you know, for eternity, like Jack, a red jacketed uh, Patriots Hall of Famer. Yep. And I was I was a fan of Gills and loved his work. And I remember the first game I saw at Gillette Stadium was the Ty Law uh, three interception game against Peyton Manning in the yep. snow. And a friend of mine, interestingly enough, a friend of mine who was from Peoria, Illinois was very close to the Colts tight end Marcus Pollard and he got some tickets to the game and I was in Maryland at the time calling Navy basketball that I'd done a game at Bucknell University the night before drove from Lewisburg, Pennsylvania back to Baltimore uh, Washington International Airport flew out of EWI uh, first first flight out that Sunday morning I'm like no sleep got the ticket uh, from my buddy met up with him we stood in, in the Colts family section up in the, in the corner of the upper level of Gillette Stadium. And I had one of those old Sony Walkman, you know, the yellow yep. Walkman with the, the, the plastic earpiece and, yep. and the one piece. And I listened to Gil, and I was mesmerized. I, you know, I was calling radio play-by-play down at the Naval Academy. I had heard some of his work through the NFL films, but really didn't know him doing play-by-play for every play. And, you know, from that moment on, I was a huge fan, and I started buying the three games to glory sets, and I would listen to those as I was prepping for Navy football. I really wasn't even watching them. I put the DVDs in, and I listened to them. And then I moved to Boston. I met my wife, and uh, she had an opportunity to come back home. She's from this area, and she had what amounted to a dream job offer for her in the uh, fall of 2008. So we moved here, and I was going back and forth between Logan and, and Boston and DWI, uh, for the Naval Academy and also doing some freelance work down in the Mid-Atlantic. But I, I listened to Gil on Sundays. I listened to Gil and Gino, and I loved what they did. And eventually I reached out to him uh, in, in the fall of OA, uh, shortly after we got settled, and said, would you mind listening to one of my tapes? The CD actually, he did. He was happy to listen to a, a CD. It was a Navy Pittsburgh game. And that gave me his constructive criticism. But he was also very complimentary and encouraging. And the following year, when the sports hub launched, I reached out to Gil and asked him if he knew of a contact that I could reach out to and, and try to get an interview with just to knock on a door and, and introduce myself. And, and he was going on a cruise, but he told me to call his producer, Mark Capello, which I did. I actually emailed him. And Mark gave me the name of Mike Thomas, program director, and, and met with Mike. And, there was nothing for me at the time, but I left the CD with them, let play, let play, and Rick Radzik, who was his assistant, liked it. And then in 2012, from Joe retired, they reached out to me if they'd like to hear more of the work from three years earlier. But Bill had played a role in, in that opportunity and also had encouraged me. But I think the, the main thing that I always say is that, you know, I'm not trying to replace him. He's irreplaceable. He and Gino really were the perfect marriage on radio and, and for the Patriots especially. I think the thing that's to our benefit, going back to your previous question about Zell, is that we're so different than Gil and Gino because of Zell. I think if, if, you know, I was working with a partner that sounded a lot like Gino Capaletti, then people might listen to us and say, you know, there are no Gil and Gino. I mean, people say that anyway, but, you know, we would just be really full imitation. But I think because our broadcast is so different, uh, and, and, you know, with a lot of young people in particular, those the voice they've grown up on in New England sports, listening to the radio between 10 and 2 every day and listening to our games now. So, I, you know, I, I can't say enough about how much Gil meant in, in terms of his role as the 
football play-by-play man of the Patriots. He, he, you know, some of the yourself, you mentioned it. You grew up listening to him. A lot of people learn football through guilt. But go back to one of those games were blacked out, and the games were terrible. Yeah. People learn football from Gil Santos back when this was a baseball and hockey town. And, you know, now it's a football town. And, uh, you know, Gil played a significant role in educating a lot of people. And, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm always someone who respects and admires that and, and appreciates that. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, Gil was Gil was definitely instrumental in me understanding the game of football more when I was younger instead of just kind of cuz I mean, when I was younger, I I was entertained by football, but I didn't start to really I didn't really understand it, but listening to Gil, he helped me kind of, you know, understand what, you know, the eye formation was and stuff like that. So it kind of gave me a little more of a a general understanding of the game, not just like go out team and score points kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, you know, he, he had the classic voice too for the big moments. But beyond that, and I think he could again something they could overlook. He was, he was so descriptive, but also really funny. Oh, he was tremendous, sure. tremendous wit, tremendous sense of humor, and, and I think another thing too, and hopefully people recognize this quality in our broadcast today. You had a sense that he and Gino loved spending time with one another. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's all been verified by the people that travel to them who now travel with us. You know, they talk about their Saturday night dinners. And that came across on the radio. You know, they came across when they said, Bon to me. You know, uh, and, and, you know, that's, I think Gino said it uh, in a retrospective we did on the sports hub that they had a simpatico. And they did. And you could sense that on the air. And that was just, that, that's rare in broadcasting. A lot of times, there are people that work together every day and they don't necessarily you know, have great relationships off the air. Jill with Gino did and, and that came across. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so I'll move on to my next question. Uh, favorite Super Bowl that you've called? You know, again, I'll go back to the last one. Uh, but I'll, I'll have to say, you know, the first one, it was, you know, obviously everything was new. And, and therefore, you know, it was, it was literally a thrill a minute. And I was told before I called that game by somebody who, who worked for national radio. Look, and he said, you know, you may never get back here again, so enjoy every second. He said, one, you'll never have any regrets, and two, it might help you relax. And I found that to be true. And it was such an incredible game, and it was, you know, an unbelievable ending. The curse catch followed by <laughs> the Butler oh. interception, and and the fact that the the Seahawks really were a team that was on the verge of becoming a dynasty, or so we thought. And there were the Patriots, and Brady injured him with the greatest comeback at that point in Super Bowl history, and it was against a great defense. Yeah. And, you know, you had Gronk making plays, you had Edelman making plays in, in that game, Amendola. Uh, and it was just a case of, you know, the two teams were going at it for a while, back and forth a bit. And then the, the Seahawks built that 10-point lead, and the Patriots came back and won it, and Butler made the pick. And, you know, I think that one stands apart. But this latest two, I, I really had a great time when it goes back to the, you know, when we started. And a lot of it was just because of the experience of being in Atlanta and having a familiarity and being more relaxed this this past Super Bowl than in the past, uh, being more at ease. I think it was enjoyable. But they're all great. They're all special. And even the loss to the Eagles, I mean, it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to be a part of that. And I recognize that so many guys who do what I do have never been to one, never been close to one, let alone, you know, in my case, they've had a chance to call four now. 
Absolutely. Um, all right. So I have one more question for you. Um, is there any advice you would give for like aspiring radio personnel, whether that be play by play or maybe, uh, the, you know, the production end of things or something like that? Absolutely. You know, I, 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 I can give you a lot of different pieces of advice and nothing's original. They're all given to me, you know, as I try to climb the ladder and still today talk to people. Three more than anything, you have to have experience and, you know, it's, it's the obvious, but yet, uh, you know, sometimes it, it, it's difficult to, uh, you know, for a lot of people to understand, like, how do you, how do you get that experience? And, you know, whatever it takes to, to get reps and whether it's production or, you know, you want to be on air and call games. I started out long before there were internet opportunities for the young kids today. There's so many more opportunities for people to gain experience today, but I used to broadcast in an empty booth at a baseball stadium, uh, and I'd done it in the stands in the past as a young guy coming up, trying to, you know, get my first job in the business, just talking into a tape recorder. And, uh, you know, you can nowadays, you can podcast like you're doing, you can blog. I think writing is essential, getting yourself out there, social media today can open a lot of doors and introduce you to a lot of people and, you know, kind of develop a built-in audience even before you launch your, your career on the air, uh, whether it's in sports talk or play-by-play. But then beyond that, it, it, it's really, you know, a, a thirst to get better all the time and to be open to constructive criticism and canvas people that you respect and admire, reach out to those people just the way I did with Gil. When I, when I mentioned back in 2008, I was uh, by that one pretty, you know, far down the road in my career, but I, I loved his work, had a lot of respect for him as a football announcer, and I, and I wanted to have a job like he had someday. So I asked him to listen to my work and asked for his candid feedback. And not only did that help me become a better broadcaster, but it opened the door to at least a, a bit of a relationship and, and an opportunity to talk with him when I was hired to follow him and, and get his advice before our first game of the Pats. And so that was invaluable. Uh, so the big thing, again, is, is you know, seek experience. Try to get as, as much of it as you can. It doesn't always have to be on the air, even if you want to be on the air. I did a lot of work behind the scenes in media relations and PR helping other broadcasters, helping guys do what I wanted to do. And beyond that, uh, you know, you, you have to be a, a, a booster for yourself. You have to go out there and, and really sell yourself and be your biggest booster, but you also have to be a harsh critic of yourself and always try to get better and seek the advice, the constructive criticism of people in the business, but especially people you respect and admire. And along the way, you'll, you'll also develop a network of really important contacts. We can help you down the road. Awesome. All right. Well, before I let you go, Bob, is there anything you want to promote? No, I really don't have much to promote these days. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, we, I'm, I'm just so, so lucky to, uh, to do what I do, where I do it. I, I love, you know, the opportunity to be in New England and to call games for the past. Uh, we've got a little downtime now. Uh, we're I'm able to spend a little bit more time with my, my kids and allow my wife to do her thing. She's got a career of her own. And uh, yeah, I may get back into the podcasting business before too long. We had a couple of podcasts that ran on Facebook.com and on 985thesportshub.com during the football season. I'd like to, uh, you know, hopefully renew uh, those and, and uh, you know, maybe 
tweak them a bit. We'll have, I'm sure, a lot of NFL draft coverage coming up. Uh, in the past, we've got a show each Sunday on the Sports Hub. Uh, about a month out, we do like, three or four preview shows, and then we do a draft recap. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get busy with that before too long. This should be a really interesting year, I think, the past in that regard. There's so many draft picks. And, you know, once again, we'll find out if uh, they're looking for a quarterback. At least it gives us something a, a little bit, uh, uh, I think, more interesting to talk about. You know, the, the one position, obviously, that everybody has an interest in in the draft. And then beyond that, uh, Justin, you know, back at it for training camp and, and next season. And, uh, you know, Again, looking forward to it already because it's been an incredible ride. And, and uh, well, we just ended this past year with a, with a thrilling uh, finish. Nonetheless, and we're going to get back at it for next. Awesome. Well, Bob, I can't I can't really thank you enough for coming on our show. I mean, we're you know we're we're a, we're a basement operation, uh, and we. We really appreciate any guest that takes the time to come on. We've actually kind of hit the trifecta now that I think about it. We've had you, Zolak, and actually John Rook was on uh, week three. Oh, so we've kind of hit like the the broadcaster kind of side of things, which is which is definitely something. And uh, you know, we'd love to have you on again before next season. Maybe talk about the draft picks or you know something in training camp or something. I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. You know, it's one of the great things about Patriots media as well. Is there are a lot of really good guys, and you mentioned two of them. And uh, I'd be happy to come on again and, and appreciate the opportunity to talk about what I do. That's for sure. <laughs> awesome, Bob. Well, I, I really appreciate it. You have a good night. Okay, Justin. Take care. Bye.